Hey everybody, I hope that you're having a wonderful day and I hope that Christ is with you. And today I want to talk about the Bible. All right, and in some ways that's kind of what I've been talking about every week, every podcast so far. But last time it was a little bit of, it was some tough stuff, right? It was some biblical commentaries that, that are a little bit tough, some talking about feminism, patriarchy, hard concepts. And so I, I want to get into something we can all agree on, which is the word of Christ. And as far as I could tell, most Christians can at least agree that that's good stuff and worth talking about. So I want to go through the parable of the talents. Now, bear in mind, I'm not a scholar or a theologian. I don't have the credentials. But luckily, I've got notes. I've read the commentaries. You don't have to take too much on my word, hopefully. And hopefully I'm not saying anything new or extraordinary. Okay, so if you want to follow along, I'll be going through the King James Version. It'll be Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 14. So starting there. Now, I want to... Before we get into this, Jesus had been talking just now. He'd been asked about the day of the Lord. When is, about his return. What are we going to look for? His disciples asked him, what are we going to look for? How are we going to know you're coming? And the gist of his message is, hey guys, you're not going to know. It's, it's going to be a surprise. So, be on your guard. Don't ever start acting up. Because I'm going to show up when you least expect it, and God help you if I find you acting a fool. I'm going to pop out of nowhere. All right. So now he's getting into a new parable. And he says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Okay, so right away, there's it's, it's an interesting thing. Because this is one of many verses where he says, the kingdom of heaven is like. Instead of saying the kingdom of heaven is. Now this is something we should note, because the kingdom of heaven is not a concept that we are going to be able to grasp. And the visions we have in our head are likely at least somewhat misinformed. Now, I, I want to make a note that I think most people can accept this, and they'll say, oh, it's just, guys, it's it's just glorious upon all imaginings. You know, you're getting, it's just awesome. It's so great we can't even imagine. That's probably true, but I don't know if that's exactly what Christ is saying. I think the idea of what the kingdom of heaven that he's referring to we can't conceptualize it. It's very, it's a very tough subject beyond just it's better than you can imagine. That's one aspect of it, but it's also the way it is is better or is different than we can imagine. It's, and right away you can detect this because what does he say? He doesn't say the kingdom of heaven is like this place. He says it's as a man traveling into a far country. Now, that's part of the story in the parable. But that's an interesting thing to say, right? The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. Well, does that mean the kingdom of heaven is a journey? Does that mean the kingdom of heaven is a journey from the perspective of the man traveling to the far country? Hmm. Huh. Or is it that 
the kingdom of heaven is going to be described throughout this parable. All of which might be true. But it's just it's something to chew on. There's there's a lot of good content. N.T. Wright has uh, books on kingdom of heaven. And he really challenges modern understandings of it. And so it's, it's, it's a topic for another day, but it's, it's worth chewing us. We're trying to think about. All right. So he then says, verse 15, and until one, he's talking about the servants here. All right. So it's probably safe to assume the guy, the, the master is referring to Christ because he's talking about his return. Remember the context. He's talking about when's he going to return. And we are the servants, the followers of Christ are the servants. Unto one he gave five talents. Now a talent, it has some monetary value. You can, the, the value of which doesn't really matter, right? But it is, think of it as money. Five talents to another two and to another one. To every man, according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. So, okay, so the talents here, as far as I can tell, almost every commentary will liken, and this seems pretty reasonable, will liken the talents to the word. He's giving you the word according to your ability. All right, so this is... It's, 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 an, it's an interesting idea. The kingdom of heaven is like this, and then what does he do? He gives the word to each according to his ability. So what you gain from the word, or what you can do with the word, is proportional to what you would be capable of doing. What he expects of you is proportional to what you're capable of doing. Now this is something that we can, we can see elsewhere. right? If we think of the parable of the sower and the apostles, I'm not going to tell the parable, but the apostles ask and they say, hey, what does this mean? And we get it clarified that, as it turns out, when Christ is speaking to the lay people, he speaks only in parable. And he won't speak to them if it's not in parable because they won't get it. But if you speak in a parable later on, they might understand and be saved. But he'll explain the parables in secret to his disciples. Okay, so it seems as though the idea here is that once you've become his follower and once you've gained some more understanding, then he can give you some more. To he who has, more shall be given. And he who has not, even that which he has will be taken away. So if you, the more understanding you have, We'll, grant, we'll give you the ability to get more understanding. Or understanding might not be the right word because we don't want to get into a Gnostic idea where it's all about knowledge. But you're whatever, I'm using understanding to refer to this ability to internalize the word. Conceptualize that however you want. Okay, so verse 16. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them another five talents. All right. First guy, he got the most. He doubles it. Verse 17. Likewise, he that received two 
gain another two. Same thing, he doubles it. Perfect. He that received one, when digged in the earth, and hid his lord's money. Okay. Now, he, John Wesley says, he's made his having fewer talents than others a pretense for not improving any. Okay. That's, that's crazy. If you, and we assume this is the word, if you say, hey, I'm just not feeling the spirit the same way as these other guys. I'm not quite as into it. I don't understand this. I don't understand that. So what can I do? I'll do my best. I'll, I'll, I'll bury the word. And I'll make sure that it's not lost. Right? Does this sound like any, any of us? probably sounds like more of us than we realize, than we want to admit. We bury it in the dirt. Burying in the dirt is the same as burying it in yourself. You keep it to yourself, eh, don't talk religion, don't talk politics, keep it. But that's what he's doing. He is using this, that fact that he doesn't have as much as others for, as a pretense for not trying to gain more. All right. Verse 19, after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought the other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee a ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. All right, so he has just been rewarded based on his fruits. He bore good fruit, as they would say, and he'd been rewarded because of it. You can tell a tree by the quality of his fruit. So if you are bearing good fruit, that's your reward in the kingdom of heaven. It's an interesting idea. I don't know that I've thought about the metaphysical implications enough, but it's an interesting idea. Is it that you are, you do good, you may good things happen, and you get a God says that's great. Here's a good reward, or is it that you're reaping what you sow? You get to pluck your own fruits and eat them. I'm not sure. It's it's, it's worth thinking about though. All right. Verse 21. His Lord said unto him. Oh, I'm sorry. Verse 22. So then he also that had received two towels came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two towels. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. So his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Now, you'll see that something's been repeated here. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make thee a ruler over many things. Okay, so you've done... I can trust you with this now I can trust you with that. Now you could, This might be ringing a bell because it's worded in a very similar way to when he talks about, hey, I've told you of earthly things, and if you can't believe these, how then can I tell you of heavenly things? Or if you, if you can't understand these. 
So if you, if he can give you the simple task, something easy, then he'll give you more responsibility. And it's also interesting too, because he doesn't say, okay, I'm going to give you a lot of great rewards. He says, you've been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee a ruler over many things. That means I can trust you. Now I'm giving you more responsibility. As it turns out, the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of him delegating responsibility. Now that is interesting and cool. It's interesting and cool because it actually does line up with Genesis, right? God is the creator. He's created all of us in the image of him. And what does he want us to do? Have dominion over earth. Have dominion over the creatures of earth and of, over earth itself. He says, be fruitful, multiply. And he gives us dominion. He wants to delegate authority to us and share his authority. He doesn't have to. He could rule over things, but he wants to share in his authority. So he is wanting to hand us responsibility, but we're blowing it because we want to dominate each other. We want to get one over on the other guy. We want to usurp the throne from other people constantly. So Christ's message is essentially to, guys, if you want to be, whoever wants to be greatest among you, let him serve the others. That's the, that's, that's the message later on. But here he's saying, if I could trust you, if you bore good, good fruit with the word, then you're going to get more responsibility. And enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. This responsibility, this delegation of authority from God, doing God's work, is the reward of heaven. It seems. Maybe there's more to it than that. Maybe it's just hang. I don't know. But if we're looking only at this parable, that's how it seems. The great joy of the kingdom of heaven is that it's a community where you are given responsibility. And guys, if you, there's nothing more fulfilling than responsibility. It's, a bit, it's something Jordan Peterson is big on. If you are at a loss for meaning in life, which is a source of great depression, take on more responsibility, and it will almost always help. All right. Finally, we get to the last guy, verse 24. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, gathering where thou hast not strawed, and I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou talent has, that is thine. Now, he hasn't spent it, he hasn't gotten rid of it, he hasn't thrown it, it it's, he's got it, he just buried it, he did nothing with it. Okay, so what does John Wesley say about this? He talks about how he says, I knew that thou art a hard man. John Wesley says, calls him right out, he says, no. Thou knowest him not. He never knew God who thinks him a hard master. If you believe that the responsibility being given to you by God is a heavy yoke, don't tell me you know God. That's John Wesley's kind of idea. Because Christ tells us his yoke is light. His burden is light. Okay. 
And so then he says, talks about reaping where thou hast not sown. And Wesley says, that is requiring more of us than thou has given us power to perform. So does every obstinate sinner, in one kind or other, lay the blame on his own sins on God. John Wesley's rough. He's saying, man, don't we all do this? We blame God. We say, I couldn't help it. And you'll hear this from Christians all the time. Hey, the law was impossible to uphold, so we were relieved from the law. And Christ gave us new standards. But those are impossible to uphold. So he freed us from those standards. He said a lot of things in his life that are more or less useless because his death kind of absolved us from having to deal with any of that stuff. Because it's impossibly high standards. I don't, I don't know. That seems a risky proposition. Is, isn't that laying the blame of your own sins on God? Saying you've given us a task too hard to complete? That seems as though that's what the final servant did. You're laying the blame on him for your inability to do what he's asked you to do. It's not a task too great. Now am I suggesting that I live without sin? Am I suggesting that it's realistic for any of us to? No, but it's something to be aware of. It's something to not get complacent about and just accept and say, okay, well, cool. I'm, hey, we all fall short of the glory of God, so I'm glad I don't have to deal with any of that nonsense. No, 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 we don't want to do that. So then his commentary in verse 25. The servant said, and I was afraid. John Wesley says, lest if I had improved my talent, I should have no more to answer for. So from this fear, one will not learn to read, and another will not learn sermons. That's, oh, that's powerful. Now think about this. Because I've been there. This is a mental state that I've been in. I'll be a better Christian later on. I don't want to look further into it because I... In our heart of hearts, we know it's going to hold us more accountable. The more you know, you know in your heart of hearts, the more you're going to be expected to live up to it. Because you know there is some value in being ignorant. You know that there, there, there seems to be a little bit more mercy in just being in the ignorant, sinful state. And then hopefully before your last breath, you get redeemed and you go, oh, man, what a story of salvation. As opposed to being the person who comes to learn the word early on, and then you are expected to grow in your faithfulness. I think John Wesley's really, really, really getting hitting it, hitting the nail on the head here. So what does the Lord say? The Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money in the exchangers. And then at my coming, I should have received mine own with usury. Uh, so he's saying the exchangers being the bank, usury being interest. Okay, I'll use you wanna you wanna call me out? You wanna say I reap where I don't sow, you wanna say I I'm a hard man? I'll use your words against you. If you believe that, you should have put it in the bank. I could have at least gotten interest. You should have given it over to somebody else and they could have done something for me. Right? That's what we need to do with the word. 
If you don't think that you can do anything with it, at least pass it off to somebody who can. But if you do nothing, if you're just complacent, there's no excuse. You don't get to be complacent. Somebody can make use of it, so go hand it off to them. Hand the responsibility off to them. This idea of, of throwing your own words back in your faces is not the first time we've seen it in the Bible. God likes to do that. I'll judge you by your own words. This is in uh, Matthew 12, 37. He says, For by thy own words thou shalt be justified, and by thy own words thou shalt be condemned. So, you better be careful the things that you say, the, the ideas that you have. Your opinion of God and the things you say and the, the, the way that you consider his commandments and his role, you're going to be held accountable. And you're not going to twist God into some kind of logical trap. right? If you want to go the route of Hitchens or, or name any other atheist from darn near any point in human history who, who had something to say about the Bible and say, well, how about this? If God was real, then I should be allowed to question this. And you know, what about mercy? You know, you, you try and twist God into a pretzel, back into a corner. You're not going to win. And as far as I can tell, He's perfectly content to use your logic and throw it right back in your face. He's, he doesn't need to do this whole "I'm, I'm more powerful than you, so I'll stick to you." No, He'll out logic you because your wisdom is nothing to Him. So then, verse 28, Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. So the guy who had the most talents is now getting the, the talent from the guy who had the least and did nothing with it. Now, it seems, that honestly, it seems a little harsh. It seems a little unfair. So what does he say? For unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. All right, so John Wesley says, So close does God keep to this stated rule from the beginning to the end of the world. Now, this is a reference to what I was talking about earlier when Christ is explaining why he talks in parables. For he that hath, more shall be given. And he that hath not, even that which he has will be taken away. Is that same thing repeated in a very slightly different way. So, what happens to the guy? This is the last bit of it. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Alright, so John Wesley's commentary here is, is a little bit long, but I want to read the whole thing. So he's talking about He's getting cast out of darkness and says, For what? What had he done? It is true that he had not done good, but neither is he charged with doing any harm. Why, for this reason, for barely doing no harm, he is consigned to outer darkness. He is pronounced a wicked, because he was a slothful, an unprofitable servant. So mere harmlessness, on which many build their hope of salvation, was the cause of his damnation. There shall be weeping, the careless, thoughtless sinner, in the gnashing of teeth of the proud and stubborn, 
the same great truth that there is no such thing as negative goodness is in this chapter shown three times in the parable of the virgins, in the still plainer parable of the servants who had received the talents, and in direct, unparabolical declaration of the manner wherein the Lord will proceed at the last day. The several parts of each of these exactly answers each other. Only each rises above the preceding. Now, I think that Wesley, again, makes just a great point. We think that mere harmlessness is, is, is good enough. Now, okay, well, you want to be merciful. You want to be meek. Absolutely. But if you take this, that idea, and reduce it to, then I will be useless. I will be useless. I'll keep the word. I'll do nothing. I'll do no harm. I'll do no good. It'll be counted to you for harm. So what's the message? What's the clothing message here? We've got to be willing to accept the responsibility that Christianity puts on us. Accept the burden. Take the risk. Talk about it. You might not know enough. Talk about the things you do know and express, hey, I don't know for sure. Refer to a biblical commentary or pass it off. Folks, so you can do this too. If you don't know too much, pass the responsibility off to somebody else, but don't just say, eh, I don't know anything. I can't do anything. I'm not overly pious. I'm not overly good with the spirit. I, don't, I, I, I haven't read the Bible all the way through. That's fine. Say, here's what Christianity has done for me. You can talk about that. Hey, I've had benefits from Christianity. I may not understand the religion as well as I'd like. I have benefits from it. And you can too. Let me pass you off to somebody who knows a little better. Let me pass you off to my pastor or my priest. You don't have to speak as a person with authority, but lead people in the direction you're going. Drag them along with you as you stumble down this narrow path. That'll be good enough to at least satisfy the requirements in this parable. Probably not the whole Bible, but at least the requirements in this parable. That's pretty much it. I hope God blesses each and every one of you, and have a great one.